So, um, <clears throat> but all you got to do is just sort of figure out the, if you're getting conflicting advice, then, you know, it all gets kind of ironed out when, when the time comes that you, you know, you can't get back on the property you have a right to be on. And then they, you know, you call the cops and they call the cops. And it's like, well, let the cops figure it out. <clears throat> right? Oh yeah, but uh, not one, not like broad daylight type of thing. So if you need food, you probably have to put some tailings for the food you get. But I would be okay going over there and getting food for you, whatever it is you want or need, and then you can pay me whatever it costs. Um, the only real difficult part with getting food is that one little driveway section between the gate and the, uh, you know, and the, the uh, shed. Because that's where I'm kind of exposed to the dog, and I just have to make sure the video is running, and that, and that, um, and that I have a plan. It's a weird thing, though. I mean, all these plans that you make when you go, oh, well, this might happen, that might happen, so this is my plan, and then none of that shit ever really works. It's so bizarre to see how it all falls apart so fast and so easily you know one so little if I, if, if, if I took, so when you're walking from the shed to the driveway and the driveway to the gate both those places you're visible i know you're visible on the driveway because i could see them standing there watching the dog exactly so you just have to catch them when they're not when they're not um I mean, you could tell me what you want, and I could try to get the brands and stuff, and then I could show up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, yeah, that's a, I can do it at 2 in the morning, too, but the stores aren't open. That's what I'm saying. But yeah. if you tell me what you want and you give me the information, I can I could get as close to what it, the product is you were looking for. I can get that and then tell you how much it is. But, I mean, how are you getting your money? If, how are you getting your money if you're not able to pop the bank? Oh, I just have a, a what you call it, card. Debit card. Debit card. Yeah. But I don't know, but if you can't go anywhere to use your debit card, how would you pay me? Oh, I I haven't thought about that since you just now offered it. I, I, haven't, I, I don't think I need to ask for your help to get back on the property with food just yet. Because I honestly think, um, what you know, let's say he uses the dog as an enforcer, and then we end up dialing nine one one. We just wait for the police to show up. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, but you walked past that dog when it was like that, so couldn't you just walk past that dog again? But it was a completely, it was a completely different contextual situation. The contextual situation was they were in this middle of pretense that they cared about me and that the dog w wasn't supposed to be doing that and oh bad dog okay so i understand i understand that i'm just saying how is the dog going to really know that that he said that or that he doesn't want you there anymore because you have because if you're walking up the, the actual from the court to the gate does the dog hear you then does the dog ever catch you then yeah, the dog catches me all. Yeah, often, and the guy, the dog is likely to catch me between the gate and getting up the the driveway, and he has, and I have it on video. But the different, okay, so. the difference is that the owner is going to call him back, and so the dog is going to. Oh, he they did. I got him on video. They came running and to stop the dog. Okay. Okay, so so if if I drove the. If I drove my car up when the dog come down, even if I drove up, I mean, does, it, does it bark when the neighbor in the gray house first out the gate comes in? Does it bark every time that car comes up the driveway? If the dog's down there, yes. That dog barks okay. at anything that it sees on when it's down there. Okay? So if it sees me down there, He's running and he's making sure that I know that he's there and that that he thinks I shouldn't be there. The, yeah. So the difference now is that the owner is saying, "Well, you shouldn't be here," which means right, the dog is. Yeah. Eating. 
So the dog is free to engage in his dog behavior. And eventually I'm going to end up having to defend myself against that dog. And I am likely to severely injure that dog, if not kill it. Accidentally hurt it. Hey, I'm pulling into my guy's office here. Yeah. I got to jump out. I'm nine minutes late. And he takes a big exception to that because he's a military dude. So but I was driving 95 to get here. So anyway, um, I probably, I mean, I can tell you when I'm off the phone, but. Um, when I'm out of the office, but it's a two and a half hour appointment, so I'm going to sit there and be drilled on for two and a half hours. All right, well, um, sounds like you're in for a lot of fun. <clears throat> well, it traumatizes the nerve and the root, and I just figured that out. That they, if they're not careful doing it, they just do it. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Okay. okay. I'll talk to you. Yeah, right. yes, <laughs> ah, she's calling when she doesn't have time. She's tired of dealing with me. I have become a difficult person to deal with. Just like she is, and just like Thomas is. What is this thing with being difficult to deal with? It's difficult to come down to deal with me because I'm going to record what you say. And you're going to you're trying to be dismissive and I'm not going to let you. So if you want to be dismissive and want to be an asshole and now I've kind of got you, you know, I've got that dealt with or uh, I mean that's the way I look at it. Of course the way you look at it or the way another person looks at it is it's your own fucking property. And you you're being nice to the guy letting him stay there. And you can't just walk your fucking dog on your own fucking property. But it's kind of obvious. I mean, if you look through the videos, it's two months of videos. That dog is fucking vicious. So it's not just a dog walking on the property. It's a vicious fucking dog you're using it for wrong reasons. And you're being mean. And you're uh, using it as a negotiation technique. And you're using him as a terrorist Okay, so now that you can't use it as a terrorist anymore, or you can, you just said it's going to be documented, and you, <laughs> and you told the guy when you saw it being documented, get the fuck off of my property, <laughs> as soon as you saw that, so I do it for two months, and then he sees it, and then poof, he doesn't want that, in fact, he, that was exactly why he, he said he didn't like that it made him look bad. So you can't be, have your own property and a little guy on a property and your own dog on your own property and you don't want to look bad. Very understandable. Except that uh, when you cross the line to illegal behavior, to criminal, violent behavior. And that's where the understanding stops and other things start. Things like Section 633.5 where you've been using, mis abusing the authority of your position. And, um, what do they call that kind of behavior? When a, when a man tries to control a woman and he's dominating and, uh, what is it? Uh, isn't it like, I know that they, like, wife beater type of thing. What do they call that? Uh, I don't even know what the situation is called. <laughs> what is that? situation uh, uh, you know abusive relationship yeah this has been an abusive relation he's been abusing the relationship and it, the abuse was mostly kind of like him trying to convince me that it's time to go you know I'm gonna build a fence 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 this way instead of that way you know it's kind of time for you to go Kevin and I'm gonna tell Kevin directly to his face you know you're now a burden to me Okay, but I became a burden to him directly by him crossing those boundaries and coming by, say, 11.30 at night, catching me drinking. You just leave me the fuck alone, 
the attorney can deal with my bad emotions because of uh, the custody of my child, then you never would have found out. You never would have had reason to key up on me like that. And if you um, didn't key up on me, I wouldn't have gotten a DUI. But instead, he crossed those boundaries. Those are boundaries for a reason. Those are boundaries so that a person can have a place to live and not feel like they're uh, they're being harassed and being uh, stalked and having a landlord come by at 11.30 and take their inventory and tell them how to live their life. And, you know, it was an advantageous place to be. This is a good place. I like this place. And, uh, and I even like Thomas, but I do not like him being so dismissive of me and taking my inventory and pushing me into a corner. So if he hadn't done that, we would have been in good shape. So we'll find, we'll see. I probably only have a few days left here. And so uh, this uh, conversation is kind of like, yeah, okay, so that's what ha can happen. Oh, okay, I'll, I gotta go to the dentist. She's offering something. She, she, she. Once she gets it in her head, see now she is going to be thinking that she's supposed to go to the grocery store and pick up food for Kevin and drop it off at 2 in the morning. That's how she thinks. And I believe she is almost as codependent as Thomas. Like, in terms of... Because uh, she, she was talking about... Um, well, you know, he thinks you're trying to control him. And I get it. That he thinks I'm trying to control him, and I'm, the problem is I'm not. I'm just trying to say, <laughs> you know, leave me the fuck alone. And he's trying to control me. He thinks he knows what my problem is. Because he's some kind of fucking expert in, uh, you know, brain chemistry and balance. Unlike the uh, real experts that I met with, who knows what's going on with me and understands. And he doesn't understand. So, it's not the same. People who are Christians, they're good people, they're solid people, they're loving people. And they run across someone like me and they don't understand. They think, why don't you just work harder? Why don't you just uh, provide for your family? Why don't you get a job? Why don't you, you know, go to school? Uh, you're, you're bright and articulate. You should be able to do this. And, you, and, and there's enough of the should be able's after a few years. They go, well, you've had this much time. How come you didn't? And then they throw you into a meat grinder of anxiety. And then they criticize you for how you handle that anxiety. Yeah, that's, that's kind of backwards and bullshit, okay? People who can't handle anxiety very well, you can't, we got to develop tools for people to handle anxiety. Oh, you have trouble with anxiety. Well, here's Anxiety Anonymous, okay? And it's none of this bullshit of, oh, here's Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, excuse me, but I went to those programs for years, and I wasn't an alcoholic, and I couldn't identify the program tools for dealing with anxiety. For dealing with this distress, for dealing, you know, I didn't, I didn't find those tools. They didn't exist. There wasn't a depressed anonymous until 20 years ago, and I was looking 40 years ago. Okay, I remember very distinctly, in teen, Alateen, uh, this one girl. She she was had some kind of uh, interaction with somebody, and I don't even remember the interaction, but she she was like flushed from, from the. Um, you know, she the issue that was at hand between her and the other person, and uh, the the adult counselor dude said, "Well, did you work your program on her? On you know, on the, uh, the asked the girl who was talking because she had been talking to another girl. Did you work your program?" And I was thinking, "Oh, there it is. You know, I've been coming to these meetings long enough to what is that program that he was just talking about? What is that?" program did you work your program where is the program what is the program oh apparently the program is these 12 steps and at that point in time the issue wasn't even alcohol because you know step one is you're powerless over alcohol and these two people are talking and having an issue and it isn't over alcohol so oh you're working your program so the program is alcohol then right oh no uh it's the people places and things except it doesn't say that in in the um in the 12 steps and so when I did work my program over people, places, and things, and I thought I was using the techniques I'd picked up from Al-Anon for not having to buy bottles and things like that, not being codependent, 
Well, that shit doesn't work out in the uh, real world. It doesn't work on the in the you know in the working environment, where essentially codependency is coded into the whole way you deal with people, and and um, dysfunctionality is part of the equation. And you can't use those techniques because you lose your fucking job. You, you will, they will key up on you, uh, and that doesn't work. All these techniques in Aladon, oh, you're a big blue elephant in the living room, is that the boss is an a- asshole. So you openly talk about how, how the boss is an asshole, and you, uh, you practice those principles that you learned at Aladon, and you try them in the, in the working world, and guess what? They don't work. And, and I have been trying to figure out what those principles are. What is when a guy said in the meeting in Alateen, did you work your program? What is the program at that point in time? Well, the program is the 12 steps. And since that wasn't an alcohol interaction between the two people, it was completely outside of the program for her for him to be asking if she worked a program and for her to even have a program because the program doesn't exist. It does not identify what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to work in those situations. It is completely outside of the aspect and um, uh, focus. It's an outside issue for, for, for Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's why when people come in and say, oh, I have a gambling problem. I'm going to go to AA, you know, because because I can work my on my issue in these AA meetings. They sure as heck tell you that every single. I mean, they tell you that very regularly in Al Anon or AA meetings. They go, well, if that's your pro, you know, if that's what you're working on, then you know, you keep coming back and you were instead of alcohol, you insert whatever it is. And in this case, we'll call it gambling. So wherever you hear alcohol, you just and you start gambling and then you're working your program. Problem is, that isn't true. It doesn't work. If it worked, there would not even be a Gamblers Anonymous. Everybody would be going to Alcoholics Anonymous. So what we should have is insert your thing anonymous or whatever it is anonymous. Whatevs anonymous. Right now I'm recording a w, .wav file. A whatevs file. <laughs> because... Um, if you are literally trying to work on your whatever and another person's working on their other whatever and you, there's too many whatevers, that's why uh, uh, the 12-step program um, Celebrate Recovery calls them hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You're working on your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And that's, that's beautiful. I love it. Everybody's trying to find this intersection of what can we work on that's going to work that kind of applies to mo- almost everybody. And apply the Christian 12 steps to it. And the problem is, there's all this interaction, this cross-interaction. And, and the guys at the um, uh, at Celebrate Recovery aren't even aware of it. The cross-interaction is one set of people that are working on their issues have a cross-reaction to another set of people. And that cross-reaction in uh, Al-Anon was uh, you know, a group full of people that are codependent about alcohol and then an alcoholic comes into the meeting, and he grew up in an alcoholic home, so he's trying to work on his alcoholic, you know, uh, codependent ways. And then he drifts into a drunkalogue, and all of the stuff that they do in the AA meetings, he feels very comfortable because it's twelve steps, and in those meetings, they start blabbermouthing about their alcoholic stuff that they did. And you blabbermouth in an Al-Anon meeting as an alcoholic, and you got twelve. 13 triggered people that are there listening to your drunk log. And, and it, it did not work for a while until Al Anon came up with a little one page statement. They read before every meeting, they said, you know, you keep your anonymity. If you're working on it, on trying to overcome drinking, then go to AA. This is for Al Anon. And, and please work the, the Al Anon program here. So all that cross interaction went away. And uh, one time I had the depressed, not, not depressed anonymous, it was Emotions Anonymous people. I was regularly going to Emotions Anonymous. They showed up at the al meeting. They thought they would be welcome guests. And, and we read that one little section because we read that section every single meeting. And they thought that we specifically read it just because they were there and they didn't like it. 
because what I was noticing in the Emotions Anonymous was all this cross reaction going on. Just like cross talk, there's cross reaction. And it, uh, it doesn't work. The Emotions Anonymous does not work. It's just the very beginning. You cannot begin the, the, have the very first two words of a program be a lie. Okay? Or be inaccurate. So, Alcoholics Anonymous. They are alcoholics and they are anonymous. Emotions Anonymous. Okay. They're telling you in your first step that you're powerless over your emotions. You're, sure not, you're not powerless over your emotions. You're powerless because emotion means the expression of your feelings. You are totally within the power of, hey, I'm not going to express my feelings about this. Everybody has that power. They just don't use it or they're not very good at it, but everybody has that to a certain extent. What you are powerless over is your feelings. They should call it Feelings Anonymous. Even then, they're changing the whole aspect of alcoholics is the, the problem. Being an alcoholic is the problem. Having feelings is not a problem. So it would be Bad Feelings Anonymous. And everybody's going to have bad feelings. If bad shit happens to you, you have bad feelings. So you got to have a delineation of what, should, what are the bad feelings that cause you to go off into the weeds and ruin your life. So it's uh, bad feelings that cause you to go off in the weeds and ruin your life anonymous. They're a little too long, right? That's why I'm going for anxiety anonymous or amygdala anonymous or uh, just even just start fresh and say, well, SMART helps as self-management and recovery training or whatever it was. And so what we're going to call it is 12 SMART. So it's a 12-step uh, self-management anxiety recovery training. Okay, yes, it's anxiety. And we are powerless over anxiety. I I still feel I am powerless over anxiety. If that dog comes down and starts barking at me, I am going to have anxiety. That is physiological and not psychological. There is a physiological thing that's going to go on if a dog comes in and, and uh, in, in a threatening fashion, close enough to rip you in half, starts barking at you. Okay, because your life, your safety, your health is in danger. And when a person is uh, has authority over you and they're keying up on you and they're making your life miserable, whether it's a boss or a person in your family who's bigger and stronger than you and has a you know authority over you in some way, like you know you're the child and they're the father, or whether it's a landlord-tenant situation. Or it's just a pastor uh, and underling kind of situation where they have the authority and you don't, okay? And they abuse that authority. And so your anxiety goes up. And you don't have a lot of control over how much anxiety you're going to experience when, uh, say, a barking dog comes in your way. Unless you're kind of used to dealing with barking dogs. If you've worked as like a military type of person and you got used to, you've seen a lot of barking dogs, you've seen a lot of people pointing guns at you, and you aren't so anxious under those conditions, but that's see we're not gonna we're not gonna run a 12-step program where you get used to the anxiety level of people pointing guns at you or having barking dogs at you or having authority and abusing it, the authority at you. That's not gonna work, okay? Because it's too. What is it too? It doesn't. I mean, it's people don't have the strength to get through that. So, we have to give them the tools to be able to stand up to the anxiety that they self-create beyond the anxiety that gets created. So there's normal anxiety, and then there's self-created anxiety. So you could call it self-created anxiety anonymous. <sighs> and you could call it anxiety anonymous easily because everybody can identify with having too much anxiety. In our society, we have run around, we're way too much. You should be running, a, you, you have a bear come into your cave about once a year. And then that anxiety is for that that time. So once a year, you have that level of anxiety. Or once every three months or something, okay? And a dangerous thing comes out your way and, and you deal with it once every three months. Not every day and not every hour of every day. We are not built for this much anxiety. So to have better and more tools for dealing with the anxiety, and part of those tools is having a support of a support group that's focused on helping you with anxiety, and 
inviting God into your life to help you with your anxiety. Nothing more interesting than your life at stake. And you find out that the person who has all the authority on on that scale is Jesus. And, he, you know, that's step two and three right there. You find out about Jesus and you go, oh, well, that caused me a lot of anxiety to hear about Jesus and find out about him. But the reality is he loves me and that reduces the anxiety. And I can cast my anxiety on him, 1 Peter 5, chapter 7, because he cares for me and also because he is who he is. He is. He does have that authority. He can take that authority, take that situation, and turn it right around if he does so decides. And if he doesn't, then he can handle it when we're yelling and screaming at him and ask, questioning why he hasn't taken away this anxiety that we perceive is so, you know, life-threatening. So, that's the power. Jesus is the power. And the doorknob is not the power. So we kind of get rid of this bullshit uh, 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 loophole that developed in the 12 steps. God as we understood him is not enough. That's That made it so that they can have, essentially have a not God as part of the thing. And then now they're criticizing people who have God, have Jesus. The original whole, whole thing was a Bible study and it was about Jesus. And those people come around talking 12 steps and they're not even all that comfortable about it anymore at the 12-step meetings and they're not welcome so you once you, you're going to need to go back to that and be very explicit and say this is about jesus this is about god jesus is god that's where it's going this isn't about muhammad this isn't about uh baha'i and this isn't about doorknobs this is about jesus and anxiety because jesus designed us God designed us. God built us. And so God knows our innermost workings. And so he can fix this problem that we have in our society and ourselves. Where we're not operating cleanly, morally, and lovingly. And, and it's all about love and wholesomeness. Wholesomely, yes. Oh, so, uh, 27 minutes of talking about... Uh, anxiety after just a single phone call okay I have no idea where I'm gonna put this what should I even call this anxiety processing anxiety So I'm switching to audio because the dog is yelping. He hasn't moved his position as far as I can tell. I think it means that the dog is tied up, that the owner is going back and forth or about to come down, or maybe the owner's playing with him, or he can see the owner. He does this yelping when he can see the owner. He wants to be out there with the owner, and the owner ties him up because the owner doesn't want to have to because uh, Thomas doesn't want to have to pay attention to where he is and keep track of him. So, various reasons. And I can't see that that dog is out. And I can't tell if he's within seconds of being able to come down and, uh, you know, viciously uh, bark at me and attack me. Or if it's just him sitting there having a good time. That's the difference, see? The owner thinks he's just having a dog having a good time. But down here, I'm trying to figure out to how to discern the difference between a dog just talking because he's having fun and you're not throwing the ball fast enough. Or yelping because he's ready to come down here and, and take a bite out of my ass. So it's, and it causes anxiety just to hear that dog yelping. I mean, it means he's out. He's not inside the, the house. It means he's likely to be off the leash. It means the owner might come by any second and use his techniques of uh, good cop, bad cop, uh, you know, 
interrogation. Use the dog as the bad guy. Use him as the good guy. So, that's been the color of almost every interaction I've had with him since he started doing that with the dog like two years ago. And I'm supposed to be the one that comes down and gets all calm and talks to him because he's kind of has a calm talk. And then during those calm talks, he's all forceful. And yet, we have, when I was stopped putting up the bullshit, he tries to be forceful and uh, I'm almost as forceful as him. He, once we're on even ground, he's not very effective in his forcefulness. And yet he tries. So his only forcefulness is a result of him having authority. And now he's past, pushed past the having authority to abusing authority. He's abused, yes, he abused it when he said, oh, you know, you don't have permission to be on my property. Well, yeah, um, the law says you can give me 60 days notice in writing. None of this, as of now, you don't have permission to be on my property bullshit. For, you know, he's abusing authority. His fucking dog has been, been the enforcer in this relationship, and so now I take that away, and suddenly he's acting in a very ambivalent position. He's not bringing his dog around. He brought it around on a leash. He's bringing it around off leash. He sees me videoing it. He says, you're off the property. I revoke your, your permission to be here. Okay? Now he's the one being indecisive. Well, I mean, that's not indecisive. That's decisive, but abusive of authority and not knowing where the end of his authority is. And that's the whole point. Oh, lucky no. Matt Tug's coming down here. Uh, every time he says, not every time, when he says that, sometimes I have been in a time when the fucking dog comes and attacks me. And it's just him saying that, it causes anxiety to me. Okay? And he's having a good time with his dog, and yet the when he's saying, he's talking with his dog, having a fun interaction with his dog, it causes anxiety to me because of his inability to control a vicious dog. <sighs> yeah, that causes a lot of fucking anxiety to me. I mean, this is bullshit. Okay, well. try to enjoy myself so I'm gonna keep trying to enjoy myself you know how hard it is to try to enjoy yourself when you think that a vicious fucking dog can come down here and threaten you basically hey so easy to enjoy yourself and then I wanted to back it up with some kind of a discussion where he second guesses you and criticizes you takes your fourth step dismissive lying about what what was said and what wasn't said and you know, bullshit oh I was clear with you yeah, fuck that he wasn't clear you guys can hear it on your own on the tape yourselves he said one thing and then later on he turns around and says it's another thing I mean if you want to be clear what was really clear was about 20 times he said you do have permission to be on this property you do not have permission to be on this property that's pretty fucking clear. Even though I wasn't listening to it, I thought he was saying you don't have permission to record. Because I anticipated he would say that. That's what I thought he was saying. As soon as he said to be on this property, I said, oh yeah, as of July 31st. So, in reality, even though he's supposed to give a written notice and it's all verbal, since we're recording it and all that stuff, I mean, I think it amounts to a uh, written notice. It's not like he was unclear and he wants me out by July 31. What is unclear is whether he has the legal right to do so under the current coronavirus law. And since I'm homeless and uh, precarious class and have very few resources and the landlord was instrumental in the removal of resources of me, of me driving, the, my car and my driver's license, okay? Yes, I'm an alcoholic and yes, I was drinking on the property. And the reason why I wasn't drinking on the property, because he told me not, he wouldn't, didn't want me to drink on his property. Okay? And uh, I was, the same time he caught me drinking on the property, I was upset about the custody of my son. And that same fucking thing, I was upset about the custody of my son on, on the day of my DUI. I drink too much when I'm really upset about the shit that went down with me. 
and I'm more than happy to explain it to people and they can listen to my fucking story and the first thing that they say when they hear my story is they don't believe it and then after they get to the point where it's okay the people involved are all acknowledging that that's what happened then they do believe it then what it's been nine years nothing nobody's gonna do shit about it except me and and even then is what it's it affected my family the breakup of my family what am i supposed to do what can i do all right i'll tell you what i'm doing i'm writing a fucking book and I, i'm laying down an indictment of modern christianity that is filled with assholes Christians who are using the winds of authority of the world to be assholes and spread bullshit. That's what's, what I can do. <sighs> Man. I'm still anxious. Now I'm anxious. I've moved on to amygdala bouncing. I'm anxious about my fucking family thing and thinking about what has happened here. Anxiety upon anxiety, so I gotta quit fucking talking and uh, and get back to what I was doing or something because uh, the dog ain't even barking anymore. I'm, I've moved on to other anxieties. <sighs> Once your amygdala is activated, you go. I get into this amygdala bouncing mode, is what I call it. You know, amygdala to amygdala to things that cause me anxiety, and then anxiety turns to depression. So I gotta learn how to not amygdala bounce. Something triggers my amygdala because, you know, the dog right now, if the dog were to come in and barking, I mean, it is, that's, that's physiological, that's not psychological. Although there are psychological issues associated with this whole thing of causing the physiological damage. So if I had been able to overcome the psychological, like, Thomas G, can I walk your fucking dog? Why not? Oh, because mumble, mumble, mumble. What the fuck? <laughs> Mumble, 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 but when he's criticizing me, he's as clear as a fucking bell. When he's taking my inventory, he's very clear, but he is no fucking uh, authority on on brain chemistry imbalance, I'll tell you that. You no fucking right, nor position, nor knowledge to take my inventory. And he shouldn't be taking my inventory anyways. That's what the four step's all about. You take your own moral inventory. He's been taking mine and he doesn't even acknowledge that stuff. <sighs> okay, well, what should I call this? Oh, I mean, I, this is a recording that went from anxiety from the dog. Anxiety amygdala bouncing off of the dog. A, A, B, C, D. Anxiety amygdala bouncing off the, bouncing off of the dog. I need a C. Anxiety amygdala bouncing off of Christianity and dogs. Not bad. I can start a whole, uh, a whole episode on that. All right, I'm going to call this anxiety amygdala bouncing about Christianity and dogs. Alright, it's 8.55 a.m. I just spent a few minutes uh, in the cool, before it gets hot in the morning. Um, there's weeds that have been overgrowing around here. And um, my hands, the, the webbing between my thumb and my forefinger had gotten a big blister the last time I went out and did a bunch of work. And in fact, it was right around the time I was from working on the, um, the dirt stuff that it got the big blister and then I, it almost got infected, but all of this, my skin condition, it gets itchy. And so it's hard for things to heal because it keeps itching and I keep itching it even at night when I'm not even um, aware of it, like asleep or something, you know? So it finally got healed. And so it's, I mean, it's healed enough for me to use the uh, hand tool for the chip chopper. So I went out and I did the hand tooling. Um, I, I first wanted to sort of like let it alone because for a while back, Thomas told me not to weed. And then he told me to weed. And I and I haven't been weeding since he told me to weed. He changed the rules. And I even think I have that on uh, audio. 
the, the him telling me and then not telling me. Um, anyways, I, uh, and I hadn't been doing it because a, I felt angry and B, you know, like I, I wanted to set aside this, uh, dispute that I, that I have with him or I think I should be allowed to use a fucking power tool. Okay. And it's not going to hurt my soft hands. I know how to use them and I can cover a lot more ground, a lot more effectively, a lot faster. And he thinks it's, he considered it a safety issue, but look at the safety issue of him sicking that fucking vicious dog after me time and again. So it's not a safety issue, or at least, you know, you can't say one is a safety issue and the other ain't it, it, uh, you know, it's, it's just him going about it in a codependent fashion saying, this is what I say. And that's that. And, uh, and so I've been dealing with the weed eating thing since then. And, uh, Never to his satisfaction, but, you know, for me, it was kind of like, oh, I'll keep the weeds down whenever I think they look like they're, you know, getting down. Anyway, so today I went out and I, and I hit weeds and uh, in a few minutes I knocked down quite a few. Uh, it doesn't look, it looks better in my mind. And so what I was thinking like, okay, I don't want to go out there because I, I am in, I'm in agoraphobic mode. When I went out, and I mean, I can't even go out without getting uh, harassed by a, a vicious dog or or uh, uh, an asshole owner, okay? And and he last night even he was stalking me, and I just kind of like, uh, this is not healthy, okay? Just to go out, but I want the sunshine and I want the openness and and a little tiny bit of exercise and I want it to look nicer and all those things, you know. They just and my hand is healed. I thought, okay, it's time for me to go out. And during that whole time, I, my thing I was trying to work on for, that I was telling myself for the program was act as if. Act as if this agreement that we have for what I do for, you know, keeping the place is still in effect because it kind of is. It's in, up in an uh, upheaval at the moment because he's trying to withdraw my permission to be here and I'm trying to assert my permission to be here even though he it's him giving me the permission but in the context of we live in this society he didn't uh you know I didn't migrate to a different country just by coming over onto his property so it's this country and this law the laws on this country that allow him to um, thrive and be an asshole and become a, a manager and treat people like he does but also he's a Christian so He's a Christian who has been using worldly asshole techniques and uh, it works until it doesn't work. And, and then there, and I was thinking of the expression, uh, you know, works if you work it, uh, nothing changes if nothing changes and act as if. And I can, it's kind of hard to throw them all together into something, but I, I, that's what I was doing out there. I was working my program. I was acting as if the things still work and or that we still had a relationship like that and that it would be a positive thing. We would have a positive relationship, working at, towards it and acting as if. Because what can happen is, he's so tired of dealing with the person, and when they get into these uh, back and forth, spit spat sort of modes, and they say, "Well, I would have considered your position and what you were saying, but you never did fix those weeds, or you never did do this." You know, they find an excuse, okay, and st to see how you were acting in the uh, situation rather than you know, just pushing the reset button. Okay. My boss uh, at Lamb did that to me because I got into a, a situation with uh, the lady at the packaging department and she wouldn't do her job and, and he knew it that she wasn't doing her job, but we couldn't get anywhere with it because he, you know, there's limits to authority. People don't realize that, but you really do have limits to your authority when you're in the corporate world. And he ran smack into his limits of authority. And so there's things that you have to do to get the shit done. And, and uh, he can't do them and he doesn't have the authority to do them. And when he sits down and talks to her, he gets a different story and it's all a bunch of bullshit. And so they're looking at you and they're looking at her and they're looking at everything. And, they, and then they say, well, look at how he's been acting during this time. And for the most part, I was acting okay. But, uh, you know, I pulled some kind of stunt somewhere. And in my mind, I thought the stunt was authorized by the CEO. I remember that, but I'm not really sure. And it was a minor stunt, but the, my boss 
decided that uh, that minor stunt was the thing that um, made him decide against doing it uh, in my favor. And he told me that they had, they had decided in my favor and he was just holding off telling me, which is pure bullshit. So during this phase, when people are looking at your behavior on both sides, they see, how did you react to all that anxiety that the other person induced in you? Okay. How did you handle all the anxiety? Well, I don't handle it very well. Sometimes I handle it well. Mostly I don't. Because I, I look for a safe space where I can be who I am, what I am, and do what I think is right without being constantly criticized and second-guessed and, uh, and uh, scolded and all that shit. And, and it's scolding that's not intended to be to make you a better person. Okay? These people that criticize, they're not really criticizing out of love. They're criticizing out of jealousy. They're just criticizing because they like to criticize. They're woke scolding you. They're, it's bullshit. And I've known that for a long time. I don't I don't really accept a lot of criticism because I, I know that where it comes from. It's not coming from love. It's coming from jealousy. It's coming from the desire to criticize. It's, people are critical. They just like to be critical. And, I, and I, what I would like to do is develop my own little quick reaction force uh, response, which is like, well, the Bible says when you criticize, you know, who are you to criticize another person's servant? And there's that Bible verse. And you can do that in, within Christians. But people are, you know, people are fast in the Christian faith. They're faster than me because they're, they've been, they know it better than I do. And, they're, and they're, they know how to pour the bullshit on a lot better than I do. And um, so they're always over countering me when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I never did develop a really good technique for answering criticism. Just a, an amygdala technique. It's like I train my amygdala to say, oh, well, you, oh, you're criticizing me. Well, you know, fuck off. Okay. Instead of that, it's, uh, oh, you're criticizing me. There's a Bible verse that says this. You know, who are you to criticize another person's servant? And, you know. Unless you're doing it out of love in First Corinthians 13, you know, it's really nothing. It's not worth listening to. So it puts the onus back onto the other person, I guess, to say, well, you know, how are you showing that this is in love? I'm looking for the love and I'm not seeing love. What I am seeing is criticism and bullshit. And it doesn't mean that criticism can't be love. It's just that uh, you, with people who have experienced a lot of anxiety in their lives, especially on the lack of love basis of the anxiety, they don't take criticism very well. And they don't, they probably even shouldn't. You know that? Because criticism should be something in really, really short supply. <laughs> okay, so. That's what I did. I was trying to work my program. I was trying to say, you know, we're all those expressions and this, okay, I'm out here doing this and uh, overcoming my anxiety and it's positive and it generates a positive looking result. Even though I get criticism about the result, like, oh, don't move the dirt because I have to move the dirt back. What a pile of bullshit that is. Okay. I mean, I guess I have it on video that, that three small piles of dirt next to his pile of, of wood, wood future wood chips that have been there for two, three years that he's not doing shit about. So, and, and anyway, anyways, don't get me started. That's a pretty good one. Don't get me started. So that doesn't that what don't get me started gets you to stop uh, anxiety amygdala bouncing. And that's a good self-technique. Don't get me started. And that, that might even be the start for when you're answering criticism. You know, you, I'm, oh, I'm hearing criticism. Uh, don't get me started. You know, criticism. Uh, in, uh, who are you to criticize another person's servant? That's their Bible verse. And uh, the other one is, you know, if it's not done out of love in First Corinthians 13, then you're just, you know, it's a big pile of nothing. Okay? So... You memorize Bible verses and you say them, and, and it gets you down a lot further than it did when you were just reacting uh, with your amygdala to criticism. And, you know, hey, fuck you. <laughs> so the problem I had is, like, I had criticism at the work, 
like the last time I remember getting criticism from my boss and I could tell well, the criticism was really not intended to be positive, even though she was pretending it, it was, it, she was pretending it was positive, but the reality is she was really keying up on me. She was being a bitch and she wanted me out of there. And, and it's kind of like, well, I came here cause they wanted me and I wanted to be here. And then all of a sudden now there's somebody here that doesn't want me here. And she has the support of, you know, she's a, she's a supervisor, I ain't, and that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, you know, I'm here, I, I, and I, I don't really want to be here then. So that's where, that's where I took that, and that's where I, I'm pretty sure that's where it goes. And uh, when, you ha- when you're trying to get a job and keep a job, you're trying to process all that anxiety that people sit, tell you to do, they put you in the meat grinder, and so you try to, make a good impression try to do for your boss and 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 all that stuff because you want to be there because you want that job you want that paycheck and you want the approbation that comes from dealing with society on society's terms that kind of thing what if you don't want that right what if you'd rather push a cart and recycle bottles because at least people don't criticize you for how well you recycle those bottles. And you're really trying to uh, optimize your life for reduction of stress. And criticism is, creates a lot of stress. And, and someone who works at a very primitive level program like that, it's because they don't have access to higher level programs. Okay. And it might not even have access to higher level drugs that help them. I mean, if you, if I knew my boss was coming, it was going to pour a bunch of anxiety inducing criticism on me and I could take a little anxiety pill and I go, okay, all right, I'll do my best. Okay. 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 Right. Appeasement and all that bullshit. Okay. Yeah. The anxiety pill helps a lot, but it's fake. It's not you doing it. It's you plus a drug doing it. And that, that's not what this program is going to be. The program is going to be me plus that God, plus God himself doing it. And it's like, oh, you're a bitch. And, but the weird thing is in the Bible, you know, God says you know, submit to authorities, even those who are harsh to you. So what's up with that? What is it? How are we supposed to work this program when we're responding and reacting to abuse of, of uh, authority and he's basically, God is saying, uh, submit to abuse of authority. Okay? I mean, if I were to tell you that, you'd say, oh, that's, uh, you're being a, a doormat. Oh, so you're saying the Bible tells you not to be a doormat? Because I've had this discussion in the 12-step groups, and everybody in the uh, 12-step group at Celebrate Recovery was very convinced that your God doesn't want us to be a doormat, even though it says more or less to be doormats. Okay. So we need to resolve that. That really needs to be resolved in these 12 step programs. When somebody's abusing their authority and you have to submit to it because the Bible says so. So what is submit? It means to send under. That's what sub is under and submit means send so what do you do? Do you submit to a, the abuse of authority? When you're in the military, you don't have any choice. Yes, sir, I will do what you tell me to. I will go and uh, die. I will attack that machine gun nest. That's it. Okay? Or I will go and clean up the pig shit because that is my job. All right? And that's just how things are in the military. You don't have a choice. But we didn't sign up in the military. We have free will. We are freedom-loving persons. So if a person, like, you're just at a regular job, you're, you know, you're working at the, uh, you know, restaurant down the street and you're the waiter or something and some and the boss comes in and tells you that from now on you got to clean up the pig shit in the back and uh, you, you got to do this life-threatening thing of whatever, you know, fix the roof on Sunday for free or whatever, right? Because he's the boss. And he knows that he has authority, and he's been reading your Bible, and he says, says, you have to submit. You have to submit to me, because I have authority over you. And that is what your Bible says you have to do. Or at least it tells you to do it. You don't have to, I guess. You cannot listen to your authority 
your Bible and not and go against it when I give you this abusive um, directive. Because so you can do it. I'm, I'm looking at you, kid. What are you looking at? I'm looking at you. What are you going to do? You're going to follow what the Bible says and, and submit to my abusive authority? Or are you going to be what a normal person does and get the fuck out of here because this is no fun? And so that's the dividing line. That's how the world treats you. That's how everybody treats you, including Christians. Okay? So Christians are doing this thing where they're climbing up through the whole bully uh, in the playground scenario, and they become the ones that are the bullies. Now they're Christians, but they get, they're get they using the same principles. So... As a program, how do we deal with that? How do we say, well, yeah, the Bible says you got to do it. It says to submit. And it causes a lot of anxiety. And then, so God claims that he has overcome the world. So you're going to submit to that God. You're going to submit to God before you submit to that other person. More, you know, I mean, you cannot, you're not going to do something immoral. If he tells you to murder somebody, you are not going to do it. You must obey God rather than men. That's right there in the Bible as well. But if he has authority over you and he gives you a directive that you don't want to do, you don't want to clean up the pig shit because he's abusive. First Peter tells us that we're supposed to submit to those authority. <sighs> and I, I think that there's... It's hard for me to see the wisdom there, but this is, this is a very uh, meek program and a very... Uh, um, spiritually poor because or you know what I mean is no I don't I'm using an expression that doesn't mean what it, so people do that when they're trying to think about what they're trying to say and they say they throw out an expression you know what I mean and I know that you don't know what I mean okay the reason why people come up with those expressions is because I can't pause so I throw out all these fucking expressions just like anybody else to try to capture my thought. How do I resolve this? The Bible tells me to submit. The world tells me that's stupid. And uh, and my own, my own instinct tells me that's stupid. So I'm working my program by su su submitting to the abusive authority. Okay. As long as it ain't moral or ain't immoral, you're supposed to submit. And where's the wisdom in that? Well, it's a very humble program. And Jesus was very humble. And he submitted. He submitted to very abusive authority to the point of even death. So you don't want to be a doormat. You're being called to be a doormat sometimes. And I, that causes a lot of people anxiety. And they're going to have to kind of confront that about themselves and about Christianity. Because Christianity pretty much calls you to be a doormat. It called Jesus to be a doormat, and he doormatted himself right into the cross. And so he says, carry your own cross. It means be your own doormat. Okay? And why not? And even with 1 Corinthians 6 thing that I'm talking about, I keep bringing up so that we can go into Christian mediation... It says, why not rather be wronged? However, people take that totally out of context because the context is Christians should be judging other Christians in, in a Christian mediation situation. You don't bring civil disputes between two Christians to the civil authorities. That is the context. I mean, it's not even context. It just overtly says it. Okay? And people turn that around and say, well, why not just be wronged? Okay? Well, why doesn't the other person get wronged then, right? What's your answer to that? Oh, well, he does this and he's that and he's, you know, he, he speaks on Sundays. And so therefore we're going to, you know, you're the one that should be wronged by him. Uh, no, bullshit. Okay. And, he, and the problem is you bring it to Christian authorities and Christians look at it the same way the world does. Uh, they're, not, they're, they're not past that worldliness training. And they think that a person who speaks on Sundays and has a wonderful record and all that shit, that you should be submitting to them. 
And I think that you should be submitting to what the Bible says, to morality, and then somebody who essentially speaks on Sundays and has a reasonably good track record. Because if you're going against the Bible or going against basic principles, you've upheld that person above the above the principles that you hold so dear. That's what it should be done. But I, I don't think it happens. <sighs> okay, I guess I'm at 21 minutes. And I... Yeah, this really doesn't work for me. Talking directly into the recording when I can't pause. I'm going to end up using the other thing more and more. So, anyways, that's where I'm at. Today I acted as if the weeds are down a little bit. Looks better. Got a little bit of exercise. My hand feels good. Got some sunshine. I acted towards my goal. Yeah. Don't know what else to say, but I'm working on my anxiety. I'm not taking drugs. Although I sure feel like taking drugs. I feel like drinking, that's for sure. 